0: Hey, everybody, Melissa McKenzie, the American spectator here at the spectacle with our dear friend and my, my podcast partner, Scott McKay of Louisiana. That's okay. You can still listen to him. And, um, (laughs) yeah, I know every once in a while I have to get a Texas dig in there,
1: but you're making Uh, me sad. I don't want to be sad. We're doing a podcast.
0: (laughs) So, well, you know, instead of um, bagging on uh, Louisiana, let's talk about Tennessee here for a minute. And really, more than that, um, let's remember first the innocent people who have been killed there recently by uh, crazy Gen Zers, um, who seemingly, both of whom had, all, by all accounts, got good families. Decent yeah. families, yeah. uh, well cared for, well fed, well educated. And at the first sign of major emotional distress, both chose to take their personal angst out on the world and kill innocent people. One, a transgender girl who um just it, it, it's a strange situation because she had she was still living at home. I don't know what her deal was, she was mentally ill and on medication and all of that. And then this boy, who looks like Joe All American, um, finds out that he's going to get laid off, and before that can happen, I guess it hadn't happened quite yet he goes in and goes into the office meeting and kills everyone. And I don't even know what to say about uh, a situ. These are not hardened criminals. These This isn't like a, a predictable thing like the drug addled dude who stabbed the, um, you know, businessman out on the streets of San Francisco, where that's just the normal thing that happens now. These were people who were really had nothing wrong in their life, but maybe that's the problem. I, you know, I, I thought about this through COVID and I thought about this through You know, my son, who's now had two bone marrow transplants and people who, who know me or have, you know, subscribed to the spectator emails know that because they, you know, I talked about that in there. It's not something I've talked a lot about publicly, but one of the things that's been good about that for my family. um, And then one of my sons has autism. And so it's had all sorts of challenges that way. And my daughter was the donor for my son. Well, one of the things going through trials like this and having difficulty is they have a sense of scale. Yeah. And I I hate to say this, but in this modern cushy world, I am very happy for my children that they have had hardship that they've had to overcome as terrifying as it's been for our whole family, as Mm -hmm. rare as it is. I mean, it's what my one son has. It's been like it it's so rare in the rare diseases that there's like six cases a year um like him of the specific thing he has and he's had it twice so the chances of this are like insane yeah. small but the benefit to it is is when like covid hit he's like why are people so upset mom this is really a, not a big deal and He had a sense of perspective and my children do, which is gonna help them because life is hard and you have to have some kind of mental toughness. And I look at these young people who like were ganging up on Riley gang for giving a speech um, and them not liking what she's hearing. And then Bob nearly tears her limb from limb
1: Right, and tries to hold her for ransom.
0: And hold her for ransom. This is like, and then we go to San Francisco, well, was it San Francisco yet again, where a conservative judge speaks, and then the law students are like, um, you know, screaming him down and that sort of thing. And then now um, judges are saying, we're not taking any law students from Yale or- Stanford
1: in this case, yeah.
0: Stanford, there's something wrong, (laughs) profoundly and deeply, there's no sense of scale for what true hardship is. And then when somebody, and it's no fun being fired. I mean, nobody likes that, right. But you don't go in, but it happens every single day.
1: Sure and at the end of the day it's a job who cares
0: right and it's and at a bank I mean at
1: a bank it's a boring job like right
0: so I I, you know and then he goes in and feels entitled yeah to shoot these people for because he has emotional discomfort I, I um I don't know what to say about it I just am floored
1: well so you know you go back to uh Well, you know, there's there's such a thing called the 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 titler cycle Um, and, and, you know, loosely kind of boiled down. This is the thing that you've seen over and over again, which is, you know, uh, hard times make tough men, tough men make good times, good times make weak men and weak men make hard times. We're in the last part of that.
0: Yeah,
1: very clearly. Um, Our culture is weaker than it's ever been. Um, And we are losing, uh, we're in a massive, massive cultural decline at this point. Um, And it's it's an engineered cultural decline Mm -hmm. um, that has largely come out of the universities, has also come out of pop culture, and now is coming out of corporate America. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about the whole Bud Light disaster, which is, which is part and parcel of this, um, you know, but, you know, what sort of underlies that, you know, tough men, uh, hard times thing is, um, that, uh, you always have, um, so you're always going to have adversity in your life. If you don't have real adversity, you will manufacture adversity. Right. And so, for example, you you know, you had back in a 100 years ago, you know, you had this like generation of American writers and they, they called them the lost generation. And some of them, you know, were people who had fought in World War One and they were kind of, you know, emotionally damaged by that. But really, you had lots of people that didn't, who were still in that same sort of situation. Um, and, you know. I mean, really some of the whiniest writers you'll ever see. Um, And it was, you know, complaining about the prosperity of the Roaring Twenties. You know, I mean, at that point, America was, and it ended up, we ended up ascending beyond that. But in the Twenties, I mean, America was the unquestioned, you know, at the pinnacle of, you know, cultural, economic, military, and all these different things in the Twenties we were ascendant coming out of world war 1 I. I mean what like you know we that was the first sort of decade of american dominance on the world stage and the way we responded to it in large measure was you know with decadence um and with entitlement i mean you know the 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 20s were racked by uh like world war one veterans doing bonus marches in dc and there were these big you know like protests that you would recognize now and it was you know guys that fought world war one for you know six months uh you know some of whom certainly saw action i'm not i'm I'm not you know minimizing that but you know a lot of people in the rear with the gear and they're like i want my money too and it's like okay um so like you had that then and it was because you had a country that was booming and like new inventions were getting brought to the market. I mean, like life in America from 1910 and 1928 changed completely. I mean, where you were outside washing clothes, you a in a, you know, a, a, a wash bin with a washboard, you know, all of a sudden, like you had the first washing machines that started um, coming into the market and you had radios and you had all these different things that that began to penetrate the market and made lives so much easier. You know, whereas we can look at people in, living in America in 1910 and not really recognize the lifestyle they were living, but by 1928, we would, okay? Um, so like the prosperity and, and, and success of the country was such that if you were industrious, if you were smart, if you had ideas and were willing to work for them, you could make fabulous amounts of money you know, for the time in the 20s. But if you didn't have those things, you were getting left behind. And there was, you know, I mean, while the country was prospering, you had a growing socialist movement in America for, you know, the people who saw themselves as the have-nots. Point is, America in the 20s had very little adversity. And yet the politics of that time were not placid. Okay, they were pretty kind of you know riotous and chaotic, um, and it was because you know if if you have prosperity but it's not shared, then people get left out, which is which is manufacturing adversity when there where there isn't any, and I think we've had a lot of that over the last thirty or forty years in this country, um, and you know I blame the right for a lot of this because we've been poor stewards, particularly in red states, of the culture, the economics, and the politics. Um, and I talk about all the, this all the time. You know, state legislatures in red states funded the living hell out of higher education and paid no attention to the left-wing morons that were running those institutions. And now those institutions, even in public schools in red states, are off the rails with you know woke ideology and and the you know the generation of kids that they're turning out are um do not process information in ways that americans have processed information right like i mean it's all emotion they're told that they're special and so if things don't work out in their life then something is wrong when you know life is adversity I mean, life is an obstacle course. Right. And I mean, you know, if you're not prepared by the time you're 18 for that fact, then you're going to have a rough early adulthood. Um, Because, you know, the minute you leave mom and dad's house or even before you leave mom and dad's house, you're going to find out that not everybody on the planet thinks you're as special as your folks do. Um, And that, you know, that used to be a major rite of passage for, you know, everybody is, is like, you're going to leave, even if you're the most, the smartest, most freaking well-adjusted kid, you're going to leave home and some bad things are going to happen that you're going to have to learn from because you couldn't learn about that in school. And for some reason, we have as a society done a really bad job of preparing kids for that. Um, And we have indulged all of these childish things that people who are no longer children are still holding on to you know we're we're letting the boys play video games in the basement for way too long yep. we're letting the girls go clubbing and screw a million guys and make themselves completely unattractive to worthwhile men right yep. and so like I mean, in other words you know, we're allowing our culture to destroy an entire generation of Americans. And this is the harvest you get from that. You get Nashville. I think the banker was in Louisville. I don't think it was Tennessee it was in Kentucky, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I mean, The point is, these are 20-somethings, okay, who their parents have done everything they could to give them the best life they could. And they're totally unprepared for real life. As a result of that, like these kids needed to get in schoolyard fights, they needed it, like they needed not to have to go talk to the teacher if they got bullied in school, they needed to have to deal with the bully themselves, right, like all of the things that generation X and, and earlier, knew instinctively, like if there was a bully in the neighborhood, then you got a couple friends together and y'all ganged up on the bully and that was how you make the bully go away um you don't go I, you know the
0: thing dog. is I was I was bullied a couple times in school I don't I'm now I'm thinking about it I'm not sure that I ever even told my parents that look, this this we're is that, that literally happened I was in uh, this will make you laugh because this is such as this is something that would never happen now but we were in a swim class at in sixth grade like sixth seventh grade and we had an auditorium which was unusual we were Mm -hmm. in a town uh we were in a wealthy car town it was lansing michigan and the uh the um so like we the tax money was ridiculous because we had a couple plans Mm -hmm. and so that made the 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 local schools you know Like crazy. We had, we had a natatorium in middle school. This was sixth and seventh grade and we had a planetarium, no joke in the high school. Nice. Right. I mean, it was crazy. I can imagine the high
1: school kids would be bringing joints to the planetarium and freaking smoking up all the time.
0: Not with the astro person who was there. She was mean, but anyway, um, so some PhD ladies teaching in high school,
1: Star Nazi. Yeah, star, star. Got it. Okay.
0: Right. But anyway, in middle school, this kid who didn't swim very well, but didn't particularly like me for reasons I still don't quite understand. But you know, one of those weird things that happens in school, Um, I had to go to the bottom of the pool and hold on to the grate because he was trying to drown me. I was a really strong swimmer and so I was okay. But the thing is, it's like, I'm trying to think, my kids have never been... In that kind of a situation where you might actually get drowned. A girl pulled a knife on me in the bathroom one time, and this was in a suburb. This wasn't even a bad wow. area. The, the level of routine violence <laughs> that was just a part of life yeah, is almost unfathomable now. And, but on the other hand, those low, low levels of violence... um which were pretty high levels when you think back about it, but, but you were, you were scrapping and a man, I played sports. And so that, that too, you know, you were getting, and it was not nice. There were no nice (laughs) rules. People were winning and losing. It was vicious. One, I read an article today, or not an article a thing on Twitter about how they're recruiting for college sports and the problem that they're having right now is a basketball coach was saying, no one cares if they lose, lose now. Like I hated, like we talked about this last time, like hating to lose and wanting to win so bad. This recruiter was saying that the problem is, is that the kids don't really care. And and so it's so difficult to coach them because they're like, eh, they don't care if they lost. And I, there's just this kind of, and I th- I think it's our fault. I think it's our generation and the boomers' fault for making everything so easy for this generation. And I'm I'm just not sure. I'll I'll say this: some parents are doing well. So like I have uh, friends of my, a friend of my daughter's parents are just phenomenally wealthy, like obscene. And uh, their daughter, they said, we'll pay for your college, but we're not paying for your grad school. You, you're you gonna have to figure that out. And my daughter's like, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense. They could pay for it. And I was like, yeah, but it's hers. She will have to fight for it. She's gonna have to live poor, getting through her grad school. She's gonna mm-hmm. have to pay it off. It's her thing. You don't build self-esteem if you don't have a self to to esteem. And you have to right. you only get a self by working for it, you know? And so like I think that they made a really good decision, but a lot of parents are not making that decision and um and not fighting for their child's soul and putting their kids in a position to have one when it's when they're all finished with education you you were mentioning the ed, educational system when we were talking off camera and i think that's a big part of it but i really put a lot of this at the step, doorstep of the parents who are um something is missing either they're not something is you know but then again these two uh these two families seem to be fine families, you know. I mean, it's you never know what's going on. Yeah,
1: inside. you don't know what's going on inside. I mean, my guess is both of these kids were horrendously coddled. You know, um, it, I, I don't get the impression either either of them were you know well liked in school. You know, they were kind of the loser kids.
0: Well, the you know, which is not to player, say they didn't do like well this, in
1: school or whatever, but
0: he was like, you know, it was one of a basketball those things. team and so it was the other girl the girl she was in sports and you know well, she was know, quiet
1: but just because they, but... they played sports doesn't mean that they weren't weird yeah. or whatever I mean I like I you know I just like what you notice about a lot of these kids is just because they do all the things mm-hmm. it doesn't make them well adjusted like people in our generation were you know like if you made the basketball team then there was a certain amount like Even if you were a, you know, kind of a dorky kid, you kind of got brought out of your shell because you were on the team and all of a sudden you had a set that you were hanging with and, Mm -hmm. you know, like disparate personalities would come together. And largely because the coach would make the team suffer (laughs) And, and shared suffering is the best way to bond people. I mean, like, you know, like people don't get it. Like you had this entire thing. And I mean, I'm sure I'm going to probably make myself fringe for saying this, but like we had for years and years and years now, and it's pretty much like a almost completely settled thing, you know, Oh, we can't have hazing in fraternities and sororities and colleges. Well, you know, like, I don't want to freaking force a bottle of Everclear down some 18 year old kid's throat, obviously, but the run of the mill hazing stuff never should have been banned, like never should have been banned. Like you're a pledge for some fraternity and the actives make you come clean their apartment. (laughs) You're 18. You probably never cleaned anybody's house before. You probably ought to know how. So it's not that it's a bad thing. And then the second thing is, is it teaches you the value of seniority. Put your, you know, you put in your dues and then you can have somebody clean your apartment, right? Um, also, you know, the thing is, is you, you get to know how the, the, the asshole actives treat you and you decide, well, I'm not going to be that way to the, to the pledges, so I'm not going to be that guy, right? right. Um, I mean, it, like you learn a lot about human behavior through you know, those kinds of experiences. And the fact that you had, you know, you had two of your pledge brothers and you're cleaning some guy's apartment and the dishes haven't been touched in four weeks and it's mm-hmm. gross. Like that's a story you're going to tell when you're 55, mm-hmm. right? These kids don't have any stories. These kids have a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a, like, in other words, it's a way of living that nobody pre-tested before they inflicted it on an entire generation of people, and it doesn't turn out to be very good for anybody's character or their soul or their personality. I mean, you know, some some are fine, but like, I'll talk to an 18-year-old kid, and they can't look me in the eye. Mm. Hey, I'm right here, and they're like, and they can't even look you in the eye. And it's like, has nobody ever, has nobody ever made eye contact with you? Like what's going Maybe on with
0: not. You? Well, you know, the thing is, so like, I, was I mean, nobody, the-
1: none of them know how to give a handshake. And it's like, this is basic shit. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's just, it's, it's a culture that has dramatically changed. Um, it's not an organic change um you know you've I mean like whatever they're teaching in education schools they need to stop because it's all bad um and so you have teachers you have I mean the church is not doing a good job of counteracting any of that counteracting any of that
0: well that's Pop because parents aren't disaster. bringing their kids to church the, the, the thing well, is the kids are and the ones to- that
1: are don't freaking learn anything that's the problem
0: right
1: you know I mean like you you the used to be that you would well, look, there's a hierarchy, right? Like you got, there's different ways of getting people to like learn things and adapt or adopt behaviors. And at the bottom of that hierarchy is you have to inflict pain so that they really associate doing the right thing with pain avoidance. And that like for most people, or not most people, for for the bottom rung of folks on society, that's how you got to teach them, okay? The really top ones, you can just explain it. Hey, we're doing this because of this and we'd really like you to do X. And they go, yeah, okay, I'll do X. X is not a big problem for me, right? So yeah, here's a successful behavior I'll adopt because somebody introduces me to it. The top 10%, you get that. After that, it's very stages of like, you have to be meaner and meaner to get them to do the right thing. You know, All the way down to some people you treat like you treat your dog. Hey, if you pee on the floor, I'm gonna whack you across the nose with a newspaper, right? It's not that I want to do it. It's that I know that this will stop you from peeing on the floor, right? And you peeing on the floor is a deal breaker for me. So you get the newspaper across the nose. Well, guess what? People, especially kids, are not that different. I mean, they really aren't. Hopefully you can be a little more intellectual with them, but at at base, you better have that newspaper
0: and And nobody uses it anymore. Wait a minute. So, okay. Having raised a couple kids, I can tell you that one of the problems that I see are parents trying to reason with two-year-olds. And this is yeah. the thing. The, the dog uh,
1: is better than that, right?
0: Well, a two-year-old doesn't have a reasoning capability. They right. can understand certain things receptively, but they the wiring is simpler. And, and you have these parents trying to convey, you know, very complex, have right. these and all it does is it makes a parent look like an ass when what you should be doing is barking at your kid, like a drill Stop. sergeant Stop and then rewarding them when they do the right thing and using positive, whatever. One of the things that I was watching last night with my son was a video of a business insider has these videos just for parents out there listening of uh, new recruits and what they go through and mm-hmm. the business insider reporter was talking about like how some of this was really cruel and I wanted to smack him because he's right. like this practice hasn't changed because one of the things that they do is they put um why does the practice have to change pepper spray into like boom straight in the face of recruits for the uh Uh, border patrol guys. So, and then they make them with that in their face, tackle someone and subdue a suspect blinded and basically in, you know, eyes blinded and they can't breathe. But they still have...
1: absolutely happen in the field, right?
0: Exactly. And I was like, this should not change. I'm sorry, this is painful and terrible and whatever. But I, their only way for soldiers or department of public safety or border patrol or whoever is going to be able to deal with this kind of real world situation is to be desensitized to the stress of it. Right. Practicing the American training Uh because, um, they do have this training. And so I'm like, but the, I had to say this, Oh, I felt, I feel bad saying it, but our recruits that were on video, were so sad-looking. It was like a whole group of Captain Americas before he got put, you know, injected with a juice. I was like, this is the saddest group of groups, because it was oh, different military branches that they were looking at, We're in deep trouble. Yeah. These kids were not, they didn't look like they had been properly nourished like i, I was like what right. is
1: crappy was, muscle tone and yeah and, crappy
0: muscle yeah. tone They're right. even if they weren't fat they were kind of pathetic and i was like uh, how are they going to survive in a difficult situation we better hope
1: i bet you they are bet building you robots
0: that, right I now
1: notice that all of these kids had crappy posture too right yeah
0: well they were happy i see
1: that a ton like 18 to 20 it was right like, could you stand up straight? You know, you remember when Jordan Peterson wrote that whole thing about the lobsters and the serotonin and, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. stand up straight is a big deal. And, like, and this was, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, I guess now it's mm-hmm. been a while. Um, like, they gave him all kinds of crap about that. Right. You know, like, why are you telling people that they have to stand up straight and what's up with the lobsters and all this? And it's like, dude, he just explained to you why this is valuable and he explained why this is a five thousand year old civilizational deal particularly among men that they're told hey stand up straight you know they might not have known anything about serotonin when they came up with that but the whole point is is that somebody knew based on experience that guys who stand up straight act in a more dominant professional
0: competent
1: manner than guys that slouch over and freaking look like somebody's you know servant and so now we have a whole generation, like Jordan Peterson has to tell them to stand up straight because nobody else will. And they act like it's a violation of their civil rights when they're told that. Right. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. We are in a lot of trouble because like all of the things that we like, we you know, we brought all of this stuff with us from Europe when, when our, our people moved over. Um, that you know, it was thousands of years of civilizational experience that got distilled into like all the best parts when people were free of the bad crap in Europe and were able to build a brand new society in America. And we were at the top, which is why for you know we spent 200 years building a wilderness into the greatest country the world had ever seen. And now we're busily forgetting all of the lessons. And I'm not talking about the politics and the Declaration of Independence and all I'm talking about the basic stuff, stand up straight. Right, obey, You know, like go obey your parents. You know, um, yeah. But the thing don't is, don't whine when things get bad, like the, those kinds of things. And we're we're losing all of that. And I don't understand how, other I than do. it can't I, possibly I have a, be organic. I,
0: I have some theories. One is women are not at home taking care of their kids anymore.
1: That's part over sixty percent
0: of, it, 60% sure. of uh, ch- children don't have a parent at home. Well, you know, they have two parents working. Right. It requires a lot of attention to be watching your kid and, and, you know, cooking for your kid, making sure your kid is healthy, uh, not putting them in daycare. We are not, we are forgetting that children are being institutionalized and unsocialized, um, yeah. from infancy all the way through. They never know anything but those four walls. And home is somewhere they come home exhaustedly to sleep and then start the cycle again. And they don't have any of that meaningful interaction. Then you have all the divorce that's happening. So children are being raised with one parent, not with both. And, and so like, I will say if anything, that kind of, um, and then the third thing is, is that is the parents themselves are distracted. So like, absolutely if a child had as a choice between their at first between their parent and a a device they'll choose the parent but if there's enough indifference for long enough the child will have learned from their parents being on a device that the device is going to give them more attention to their parent and so i'm yeah. not surprised that all of these kids are like on TikTok, or they think that their best friends in the world are some pedophile across the internet in another state. Um, because if they had even a fraction of that kind of attention from their parents, then they would, they would feel like they had a friend or somebody who cared about them, you know, locally. The other thing is that's interesting is that with the technology changes, um, someone up hello mrs so so is you know melissa there is scott there well you had to develop social skills because the mom would say you know um boy your friend has no manners if they didn't you know deal with the phone correctly or whatever And so you're learning in, in there about how to interact. And then you had to get together physically, see people, see their reaction to the conversation you had and your friends, you know, I was talking to a friend about this and we're like, you know, both of us had relatively, um, let's see, unhappy childhoods. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I I had, and we were talking about, we didn't realize it was the best of times. You know, we would leave the house at the beginning of the day and then come back and whatever. And we were on our own and, um, didn't think anything really much of it, but the freedom that we had to make mistakes and to figure things out on our own, we didn't have uh maps. So we got lost yeah. <laughs> out in the country sometimes or, you know, in crazy things. We ha- I remember being with all my friends in high school when we ran out of gas when one of my friends had a boat. We had to figure mm-hmm. it out, you yeah. know what I mean? Like the, 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 there was just, I, 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 and I think about it now, we would be horrified as parents of our kids being in that situation, but all of those things, and I don't know that we really talked to our parents about all that, by the way. I, I don't think we did. Like, it was just like a different world. And yeah. so the, all those things combined between the technology, between no nobody interacting with the children at home, children being kind of viewed as appendage is uh, cultural wide. Like, you know, people are so contemptuous of parents. Why are you bringing kids on a plane anyway? As though your life should stop once you have children. And well,
1: the other so- thing is, is because the kids got to learn how to freaking be on a plane.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, when well, my experience has been, Scott, that the kids haven't been the problem. It's all the rotten adults. Very yeah. rarely have I seen, maybe twice in all of my years, one time because this poor child had an earache and it was like eight, nine months old and, cr- you know, his ear was literally exploding on the plane. I felt bad for that kid and the parents, but generally speaking, you know, one kicker here or there. Generally speaking, I've seen more adults act ridiculous than kids. There is a, there is a contempt for families. And then, then there's a few families who make everybody else look bad because they have rotten kids and don't know how to deal with them. So all of these things together, and then nobody's taking their kids to church. No one's setting like, there's no moral rules anymore. It's kind of like what you want to do. Right. Right. I, you add it all up and you well, have I mean, the moral rules are mess. oppressive
1: i mean they're oppressive is the thing
0: well they they yes that's, there's you know, certain that's the message you is,
1: is oh, you can't do that because you're going to oppress these people if you tell them what's what and it's like well okay but you know there are behaviors that lead to success and there are behaviors that lead to failure um and the moral rules are a way to draw a line between those and keep people on the right, right. side of it so they have healthier lives um, which is, you know, at base, like this whole trans thing, that's kind of what it is. Like, these are behaviors that are going to be super un- you know, uh, lead to failure in life. Okay. Which 40% right. of them attempt suicide after they right, get what they want. Right.
0: right. Um,
1: and it was uh, a friend of mine, uh, that I was eating lunch with not too long ago was it, it talking to me. He he read a thing or yeah, was, saw something, some on TV or something. And it was like, you know, this guy, who had done the whole transgender freaking surgery thing and it's a year later and then checking in on him and like okay well you know h- how's this work and he says I mean I went through all of this and I had this all done and I haven't been kissed in a year and it's like mm. so nobody told you that this was a that bad an idea like you did this to try to get love but like you know what did you do to make yourself but I know who you're talking about
0: so this Dylan Dylan Mulvaney, the the kid who is the uh spokes thing yeah. for um Anheuser Busch.
1: Bud, well, Bud Light, and now Nike as well. Yep. And Tampax tampons, which I just don't get, and I don't think we should talk about
0: and that. also um uh KitchenAid. But anyway, so this so this kid he goes through all of this and he's and he uh uh, says he can't get a date. I haven't had a date for a year. Well, you know, it's the thing is, is that like, first off the real percentage of, you know, I don't, did you see the chart that was out today? Like 19.7% of Gen Zers consider themselves LGBTQ alphabet people. Right. And I was like, and then I was like, yeah, born this way. Mm Mm-hmm this is not a cultural contagion or anything. And you look no, at this,
1: not,
0: not at all. You look at the stats for, you know, Gen X, you know, uh boomers and whatever, and it's pretty level. The thing with all this though, is that they're isolating themselves further. The, the Venn diagram of people who are interested in you, if you're a kind of physical mutant is tiny. Yeah. And, and so like, while you might have an outsized uh, uh, audience on Twitter for your craziness.
1: It ain't real people,
0: life. No, and it's more like looking at someone in a zoo. And the thing is it's exploitive and people don't, and the, right. and the fact that-
1: That was one of the most abusive things that I have ever seen is to take a six-year-old yeah. kid and you know try and change their gender Yep. So that you could go do the whole thing to get attention on the internet that, I mean, like literally that, that it might, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen done.
0: Well, no, and so publicly and like, I'm <sighs> like, we are all watching so the awful. destruction of a child. Yeah. And,
1: and the, what was the, the quote that the kids said is, you know, I just, I just, just once would like to feel like me and I haven't felt like me in a long time. And I'm like, ah, like, ah. I mean, that feel like it, that just yeah. you know, it, it hurts your heart to see like, oh my God, they've done this to you. Yeah. Right. And how, like, how does the entire country not just, okay, now it's time to wise up, but you know, we're like, there's so many of these stories now that we just, you know, like we're, we're almost desensitized to this kind of needless suffering. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. First of all, Most of these people who consider themselves trans have been led this way by something, whether it's a Mm -hmm. pop culture thing, whether it's the schools, whether it's wacko leftist parents or something has has influenced them to go this direction. Right. Um, But, you know, the other thing... And I mean, you know, obviously the internet is playing a huge, huge, huge role in this. But, you know, the other thing, and I want to pick up on something that you were talking about a little bit earlier, was one of the things that because of parental indifference and because of not having two parent families and both parents working when there are, you know, one of the things that you don't get with kids, but I notice you do get a ton of with homeschooled kids is that um, like they get virtually no positive interactions of a casual nature with adults. And they get very few opportunity? Like, you know, there's the woman who runs the daycare thing who's a pro and God knows what kind of crazy stuff she believes in. And then there's, you know, the teachers, 90-something percent of them are going to be female, which is not bad or not good for the boys to have like no father figure around or any of that but like they don't see adults they don't like interact with adults in sort of just an ordinary manner and so you have all of these kids who are they're you know they're in a a daycare setting or they're in a classroom setting and when it's not that it's the device or Um, you know, so they interact with other people that are pretty much all their age. Mm -hmm. They don't even know how to interact with their parents. Adults who are not their parents, they basically have almost no interaction with them at all. Whereas, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, you went and got yourself a job cutting Mr. Jones's lawn, right? And he'd pay you $20. And that was a thing because that was your, you know, money to go buy baseball cards or something. Um, you know, and everybody was like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do, right? Like you take dad's lawnmower and you go cut Mr. Jones's lawn. And oh, by the way, you got to put gas back in the lawnmower for dad because that was his investment in this deal. Um, and then you get to keep whatever, you know, whatever the overage was. And so it was like, hey, this is pretty good. And you learned all kinds of things. Most of all, you learn how to deal with adults in a manner that didn't make you a burden on them right? Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, you know, Mr. Jones would actually tell you something about life that might be worth worth hearing. Right, um, And almost all of that, from what I can see, is lost, okay? You may get interactions if you're playing sports as a kid with a coach. And most of those kids, not all, in the, we've seen in the case of, of these two wackos that, that, you know, went off on, on people the last couple of weeks, we're different but most kids who are doing the sports thing whether it's they're playing travel ball for you know softball or baseball or whatever or they're doing like these different things and they interact with a coach and the other parents on the team and whatever and you do have sort of those kind of healthy adult interactions and you know they they become a lot more well-adjusted and they understand okay well these are the people that i've met who are older than me and this is what they've done with their lives and they've kind of you know normal stuff like you get it right like you start to see okay this is how all of this works and my my job is to sort of feel figure out how i fit into it right and that's how you pick a career path or that's how you you know sort of see yourself progressing as a big picture thing i don't think this generation gets that at all like i think that they are you know they're they're in games and they're watching tv shows and they're you know looking at stupid things on the internet and they're like doing weird stuff with their you know kid friends and mom and dad are like busy with other stuff and if they're not then they're helicopter parents and these kids like don't really look at adults as normal people like they see adults as like the people that obsess about them and are you know like terrified that they're gonna do something wrong right um and so it's it's like you know you and me as kids would look at this that that's going on now and they would see it as like this weird dystopian like destructive kind of thing you know like no i'm gonna get on my bike and go to the park because i got friends that are there well what adults are gonna be there it's like we don't need adults Oh yes, you do. How are those other parents going to let their kids go to the park? You know, well, some town predator is going to come in and be like, "What? What are you talking about?" You know. Well, the
0: thing is, I, I do think that part of this is a is a reaction from our generation because because we were so unattended, we were in situations that were sometimes I sometimes I look back on it, and I think very oh, dangerous. Yeah, sure. And, and, uh, so then there's this more protectiveness and but there's also more social pressure. So say for example, I let my kids ride to the park and there's a flasher there, which there has been, uh, not in years, but there was one when my kids were around that age and, um, parents, you know, parents used to be like, well, that stuff happens, you know, can you go to the park. Now it would be other parents were like, you let your kids go to the park and you weren't right. there.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and so you're a bad, the, you're a bad parent for freaking parent you parenting your kids the way kids have always been parenting.
0: Well, and so here's another thing. So, like they have these after school um uh places that kids can go where there's like video games and after they get their homework done, but because their parents are both working or whatever. Right. Right. And I remember, uh, some patients of mine back in the day when I was, a, you know, still seeing patients <laughs> and they would, the kids got to the point where they preferred going there to being at home with their parents, a kid, you not. And I'm like, that's sad because after school you should be outside running around and doing stuff. And they were like, "No, we'd like to go play on the computers at our aftercare class um, school." So like a bus comes to awful. Pick- yep. So a bus comes to pick up the kids from the elementary school or the middle school after school's done, and from right. there you go to another institution until your parents pick you up at six. Right. And then, um, and then they go, they go home. You know, pick up some fast food on the way home. And the parents are happy because the homework's already done. They don't have to worry about it. And uh, the kids go to bed. And then the parents go to bed exhausted. So, you know, that's not everybody. But I would say that the greatest privilege that kids have now is if they have parents who take them to church and then the kids go to like Bible class or whatever, and they're getting more adult interaction, and then they maybe that's where they go to summer camp and they build, and then, you know, they go to summer camp a couple of years, then they become a counselor themselves. So it, it's strange that the more traditional families are having, and here's the thing that makes me angry amongst the lefty libs, they're living the, 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 the highfalutin ones are living this way too. Yeah, they will, they are, um absolutely bigoted. They think that the little people couldn't do this. And so they they kind of like we have to accept all ways of life instead of going this is a better way of life. Yeah. That if you take your kids to church, send them to camp, then they they have these moral values, maybe the kids uh, have a spiritual experience, they have a foundation to help them explain why life is hard cuz it's going to be. And right. then they go on from there and, um, you know, ha- have, have parents, uh, a parent at home, like the greatest luxury for a kid now is married parents a mom at home, taking care of the kids, kids going to church and then, um, having a good life and, and having attention from them, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and then which is
1: generally speaking not a material thing. You no. can be lower middle class and you can be poor. Yeah.
0: You know, like my mom said, you know, we you know, us growing up, we were definitely middle class, but you know, you can be poor and have one nice outfit and right. have take pride in that, but there's this kind of weird mentality. Well, how, like how many,
1: how many like super successful people will tell you, look, when I was growing up, we were poor, but we didn't know it as kids. Right, right? right. Like you hear that and you just you almost like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But the, the point is, it's like, yeah, but you didn't have a poverty of values. Right. Right. And you have an, a society that allows for social mobility. And so people who do the right things, learn the good habits, engage in behaviors that are success oriented. Right? right. Don't need to come from a good you know, socioeconomic background, so long as they have an intact family and, you know, and learn all the right things and, and do the right habits. And all of a sudden what you find is, yeah, you might've grown up freaking broke, but you're, you know, you probably faced a little bit more adversity than some of these snot-nosed, snot, no snot, snot kids that had all the advantages and you kick their ass. Right. Like that, this, this country is full of those stories. Right. Here's the thing. And I I don't mean to like cut you off if you had more. uh, Um, Here's -hmm. the thing. So you look at all this and you like, for example, you you talk about people who are like the lefties that live, you know, those by those positive um, behavioral uh, patterns. Right. Mm -hmm. And all of this stuff. And it's like, okay, so you don't think that poor people can live the way you live. Like it right. won't work. They're not, you know, whatever. And you say, yeah, that's bigoted. There's another thing at work, which is that sometime in the sixties or seventies, people yeah. on the left started to realize that it works better when you're trying to get power, whether it's over a city or whatever, if you do let the poor go to hell mm. and you do encourage these bad behaviors that that will retard social mobility right i mean i talk about the weaponized governmental failure piece but like everything that they push is license and freedom for people to act badly pandering to criminals um you know pushing these kind of exotic sexual uh lifestyles and um you know the the entire critical race theory piece is nothing but that that's an excuse for failure if you're a person of color right well, and like
0: can i ask you something then because san francisco for example whole foods target all of these different places are moving out yeah yeah and like whole foods had a flagship store in san francisco they have closed it down there yep Shuttering up.
1: All, all the Walgreens have closed in San Francisco. Yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah.
0: And so, like, this weaponized governmental failure that you're talking about that San Francisco's voted for. Yes. And, like, this one time on Twitter was saying today that they finally moved out. They love San Francisco, but it, two drug addicts broke into their home, held them at knife point, robbed them, mm-hmm. and left. And the, the police were like, yeah, they they these two have a reputation. this is their thing. <laughs> like this is not right. Like, you're not like the third or even the fifth person this right. has happened to. this like, is like, not-
1: oh, so they got you this week, right?
0: Right. <laughs> and so like they decided to they moved and they oh. and they broke their heart and everything. I'm like, you people voted for this. And the, so my question is, why are they surprised when this happens? Because there is always because well, I
1: don't think they think it's going to happen to them until it does, you know. There's that old, there's that old saw, you know, like a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged, right? Like I mean, right? Like that's the thing is, you know, like the thing I don't get is why um, San Francisco doesn't have a Charles Bronson. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't like the, my reality right. is that when the cops completely abandon the, the mm-hmm. shit that's happened in san francisco right it's the vigilantes move in like i don't like where's batman like i don't understand why there aren't mal- neighborhood militias holding freaking every street corner in san francisco at this point point. and my guess is is they just haven't suffered enough and that's coming um because no every you, I, America- no that's
0: not it's not coming I, I can say this with a surety and and I'll, I'll tell you why i i lived in michigan grew up there Flint died. Detroit died. Lansing partially died because the auto industry died, but the government seat is still there. So, you know, it's got some. Right. Paltry reason for existence, but those, those cities never had a, a vigilante. I know those cities never had it just slowly, slowly, but surely implodes. And over time, the corruption in the graft, there's a couple people who get wealthy, but it starts to become impossible for those who are wealthy to live there safely anymore and they move out too. And well, and, and so then it well, just becomes it, well, a it's, it
1: starts with the middle class being able to get out of there and go to the right. Suburbs. I get that, okay. Um, but you know, and I think part of why you don't have that is because they have so sapped the concept of agency from the people without the means to move um, that, you know, like it doesn't occur to, you know, poor people who live in, you know, uh, the ninth ward of new Orleans or, um, you know, some of these really bad areas in Houston or, you know, South Atlanta or, you know, like pick the, the, you know, slum of your choice. Mm-hmm. Like people don't really like the criminals have agency, all right. But regular folks that are just kind of in the system, you know, the agency is that you get a job good enough that you can move out. Um, like that's that's you know that's what you can do. You can get out of there. Um, but, yeah, but the for people the folks who that are, are still there,
0: if you if you're in a no go zone, for example, in Detroit, where the bad guys run roughshod over everything. You're not going to get crossways with them and narc on them because you have to live with them the next day because you correct. know full well that they're getting out of prison tomorrow. So right. there's no witnesses to any crime. No one says anything. That's correct. The people continue to be victims. And the state, the local government knows that. And, right. know, and they also know that um, they're not going to trust any white people. So the the people who are in governance there are virtually guaranteed to get reelected um, because, you know, a bad person of my race is better than a maybe good person because we're not sure about that. But our experience has been a bad person, a bad white person. Okay, Mm -hmm. so, you know, like if you're going to have to choose bad and worse, might as well pick someone from my ethnic background and go down with the ship and be proud that we have a black mayor, you know, well, and
1: then put the people that don't believe that. okay, I mean, you know, they may lose a few elections here and there, but then they get out.
0: Oh, right. No, no, no.
1: I mean, you find a cheap apartment in the suburbs and you go. Like that's that's how that I mean because every one of these cities that's you know that that's a dead city that that fits this thing I mean all of them have lost massive amounts of population over the last fifty years, right? You know I mean you know whether it's Detroit which is you know went from one point eight million to what six hundred fifty thousand you know from New Orleans that went from six hundred thousand in the city proper to like three fifty now to really I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I lost a lot during Katrina, but you know, it's it's it, right. it, it kind of came back a little, and then it's fallen off again. Um, you know, uh, Minneapolis, which mm-hmm. is you know was like I think it's gone from like seven hundred thousand to four hundred twenty-five. Mm-hmm. I mean, like they've all lost population, and it's because the middle class moves out, and when they go, you get this awful you know, sort of poverty of, of, of um, behavior and values. And, uh, you know, you lose the sense of community because, you know, these, these are horrible places that have like, you know, but like, you know, like, okay, you mentioned, for example, um, you know, the lack of vigilantes. New York didn't have that problem. Like New York had the guardian angels, right? Curtis Lee, one of those guys. I mean, you know, that actually was a, I mean, at various times over the history of New York, the Guardian Angels have been big. I mean, I think at one point in the '80s, they had 20,000 Guardian Angels in New York. You know, and I mean, everybody, could, oh, they're terrible. They're a bunch of, you know, fascists. Or like, they report things to the police and they ask them to follow up on cases. It's like, it's the, for, as fascists go, they're really pretty friendly. Um,
0: well, you know, also and New, New, ended up has, they had New York had the mob. Which What's kept that? their thumb on certain neighborhoods, and well, okay. and, and here's a surprising thing. So then this is what happened. So like in Los Angeles, when I lived out there, you had the um, Mexican, a certain Mexican gang moved in, cleaned up the neighborhood, and there was no yeah. crime. Right. Guess what? Because the only yeah. gig in town was the drug big drug dealer kingpin, and nobody messed with them. Mm-hmm. And so there was some uh. You know, while and a lot while authority was were, be, being well, established, gang this...
1: members were like roofers and mechanics, and <laughs> during, the, during the day, so it's like working class gang members, right? It was like, right.
0: Well, the thing well, they is, they got more
1: work ethic than the other guys did, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, so like in in so then, but then you have a different kind of corruption, right? You know, a, a different you have different kind of problems. Um, I was surprised this last census here in Houston that 150,000 Hispanic people moved out of the city to the suburbs. So these fine upstanding people with hardworking jobs were like enough of this baloney and they moved out. Yep.
1: I mean, that's, you know, it's the progression. And actually it's a good thing, right? Because that's positive social mobility. Yeah. Um. You know, and there's ultimately sort of a hopeful ending to this, which is, you know, and I think you, you, you're you not really seeing it in Detroit yet, but I think you probably will, which is when they've so destroyed a place that like they've ended up knocking down the houses and you have streets and streets and streets where there's nothing but empty lots, right? That's when somebody can buy the land cheap and redevelop it, you know? And, and like, that's when you can now... You know, the governmental piece is hard. And that's still the problem. No, but I think there's, I think the future there is a, and it, you know, Michigan may be difficult, but in some other places, it may not be so, so difficult, which is the state legislature comes in and says, okay, all of this is like basically Greenfield again. So we're going to incorporate a city right here. And if this big developer wants to drop five hundred million dollars to go build a whole bunch of houses and build, you know, build like a little town within the city of Detroit or something, then we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and charter that. And the city you know of Detroit wants that. Run.
0: Is Governor that? Gretchen Whitmer?
1: Oh, of and course, the she Democrats doesn't. there.
0: So I get it. I get, mean, it. The, no,
1: I get like president. I get all of that. But what I'm yeah. saying is, and that's why Michigan it may not necessarily be the the best test right. case for this. Right, St. Louis. Okay. St. Louis is in Missouri, which is generally speaking a red state, but St. Louis is a dead blue city. All right. Mm-hmm. And so within the next, however much time you're going to have neighborhoods in St. Louis, which are completely blighted that everybody has moved out and it's, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the place has completely gone to seed and, you know, here comes some developer, Hey, you know, this, at one point this was really good real estate. I'm gonna, you know, I may plunk down some money and I'm gonna buy this from the bank or, you know, wherever the property is held. Um, I'm gonna buy it for some, I'm gonna redevelop it and put up some nice houses and, you know, condos and, and you know, a little TND thing where they have shops and whatever. But I don't want the city of St. Louis um, and the, you know, the wackos that run that, like, I don't wanna be governed by them. And he goes to the legislature and he says, what can you do for me? And like, you know, we'll pass a bill chartering a city. And you get like it's your city, right? And then so you know, like you're going to have these little sort of things popping up around it. Like that's what's coming because that's how somebody's going to be able to make a lot of money off of it.
0: Well, I, I, I salute your optimism.
1: I'm not saying this turns these cities around. What I'm saying yeah. is, is that you're like this. You're gonna you're planting seeds, okay? Right. And I mean this is going to happen because. You know, the history of mankind is that, you know, a place that is worth having at some point will be a nice place. Now, it may not stay that way, but it will return to being a nice place. I mean, you can look at geography all over the world, and this is true. Um, And it'll happen here. I mean, you have to take a long view. It may not be in our lifetime that we see a lot of this stuff happening. Yeah. Um, um, You know, but, you know, part of the problem is, and I come back to this all the time. The people who are destroying all these places get to do it because there's no consequences. Right? They get
0: to do... Well, and there's no resistance to it. Like So, like, we have Biden as president. We just had this election in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Right? And this was a very important election in Wisconsin. It's going to have to do with voter integrity. It's going to have to do with abortion. Babies are going to die. Yeah, And the republicans didn't come out to vote the independents certainly didn't and by default the democrats win yep Uh, um the uh, we're talking about the independents and the we have a president right now who is you know the banks are in a precarious state we have at least a proxy war in ukraine and in Taiwan now, uh, China is surrounding Taiwan. Hasn't made right. the news, by the way. Right. Kind of like all you know, the the uh, revolution happening in France hasn't made the news. Kind of like the poisoning of girls in Iran hasn't made the news, because that would kind of throw a stinker into Biden's policy aims. Right. It, it but- would make
1: people understand that the world is going to hell on his watch, and they certainly can't have that.
0: Right. I mean, there's people who are still saying that that, that the world uh, respects us now because Trump isn't president right. That's just insanity.
1: <laughs> you, know, as, you know as we lose the world's reserve currency status, right? Like I right. mean, they
0: these things are all us.
1: happening but oh no, no, but they respect us because they really didn't like Trump. and it's like, okay, seems like things were going a little better then
0: it but the thing is this kind of backwardness. Because of the this kind of weird, again infectious hate, you know, tribal kind yeah. of hatred, mob mob thinking, um, people are not really thinking. They're they're like voting with their id. It's just all this. It's yeah. like me me vote now, me hate Trump or whatever the thing is, right. and it's so they just, care
1: about mean tweets rather than performance. You know,
0: and, and so I think you deserve what you get. Then, if we're, but I think what we're going to get is an economic collapse and a world war. Uh, that's the the sound I mean, part. That's a little. Like I hate to
1: I hate to say it, but we're like long overdue for that. You know, historically oh, speaking, know. you I know, like I mean, you know. go seventy five years or so, and you're due for everything coming apart and. You know the the hope is that you can get through whatever kind of generational changes are always going to come. You know, without this massive kind of cataclysm that 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 comes in and washes everything away. But we're not we're not poised to avoid those kinds of things. I mean, we're head we're rushing headlong into it. I mean, you know, how many opportunities have we had to make peace in Ukraine? And and now it's like China's gonna be the one that brokers it, which is gonna give China and an entree into Eastern Europe and Europe as a whole. And they're gonna supplant us as the you know outside power with all the influence. And honestly, you know, we probably deserve to have that happen to us. Um, and, and to some extent, the Europeans have deserve to have it happen to them. To
0: some right extent. i mean i
1: mean i think they really do deserve it uh, no they yeah. totally do I, like i so. the, the example i would use is italy right so you know italy went and joined the belt and road inif- initiative which is china's sort of
0: right.
1: um um empire building colon- economic colonial strategy mm-hmm. um and so you know they do this trade deal with the chinese and so the chinese come and they buy up all of the Leather goods and clothing uh, manufacturers in Italy, yep. and along come all of the Chinese workers who are going to now populate these companies. Right, and you know the big, the big in sort of industrial center of that industry in uh, in Italy is Milan, right? So basically, the city of Wuhan is linked up with the city of Milan. And there's something like a hundred thousand Chinese who are in Milan and they're all working in, you know, they're making purses and they're making dresses and shoes and all these other different things with Italian labels on them. Right. Right. So like when you go to TJ Maxx you're like, Ooh, this is Italian. It's like Mm
0: -hmm. kind of.
1: Um, So, but anyway, uh, so what happens? Well, the lab in Wuhan cooks up a virus that gets out. And they leave the airport open. There's three flights a day from Wuhan to Milan. And so all these people get on a plane and they bring COVID to Milan. And Italy becomes the ground zero for COVID in Europe, right? And this is what the Belt and Road Initiative gives you, which is all of your people are out of work because the Chinese came to your place and they're working in all the factories and you get COVID, Right. And everybody drops dead because everybody is smoking. The Italians are like, you know, they they eat too many carbs and a lot of them are fat. And, And it's like the oldest population in Europe. So they drop like flies. And these people are sitting like, how did this happen to us? It's like, well, this is what you I mean, you know, there's not it's all not altogether great with America as your as your big partner. It really sucks when China is. And the South Africans are finding that out because they displaced all the local South Africans to run the coal mines that, that mm-hmm. the Chinese want. I mean, they're doing it all over Africa. They're exploiting the living hell out of these people that, that throw in with them. Right. And they should know better. But, you know, they're sick of America. So they're going to throw in with China and we're going to find ourselves on the outs on the world stage. And maybe that's a good thing because on the outs is where we can recover our industrial capacity and do some of these other things. And oh, by the way, while China's generally smarter than us, China's demographic problems are far worse than ours are. Um, They're not going to be able to sustain the kind of empire that they want to build. And that'll collapse.
0: We'll be so the thing maybe, is, is uh, that that rebuilding time that you're talking about will be Americans at each other's throats because co- sure. costs of everything will increase. Oh yeah, by because they'll have to, especially if we're relying on our own manufacturing, and we are truly decoupled from like China and all of her, uh, you know, all the little pl- petty potentates that she'll end up having all over the. Um, you know right now we're moving to Vietnam and Indonesia but what happens when China says no right um you can't manufacture things for America <laughs> and we're in charge now
1: we have to do it all in Latin America which actually would be a really good thing um but the problem is is that the Chinese are trying to buy up Latin America well, um, China you know I, to succeed. we're we're, 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 we're Losing the geopolitical game very badly because we're run by people who think that we're the bad guy, right. um, and not totally without some justification. Based, yeah, on we're the that bad guy because
0: they're been. the bad guy. The yeah. left is the bad guy. Yes, right. I'm not even just saying
1: the, the left. I'm saying the ruling. Oh no, I know. Stupid things that they've done. Yeah, we're still the good guy in the world, but we're not as good as we ought to be. Right. Um. And, you know, so, yeah, that's an issue. But, you know, the point is, it's like if you think we're bad, <laughs> yeah. like wait till you see what the alternatives are.
0: Right.
1: Um. And, you know, these other countries need to find that out. But, you know, the other thing is, is they're turning to China because they look at us and they're like, those guys have lost their mojo. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong for thinking that, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, we have I mean, we have been. Really, if you mark Ronald Reagan as the last truly successful American leader that we've had, and I think I can make that absolute case with a few exceptions, sort of momentary exceptions uh, after that. I mean, you're looking at 40 years or 35 years of terrible performance. Where we've gotten in wars, we had no business getting in. We've bullied people to do things that were not smart. Um, And then at the same time, we've given away the store to people that we shouldn't have given anything to, China being the most notable one. I mean, how the hell could you have possibly given these people most favored nation nation trade status? I mean, to this day, it blows my mind that that was ever done. And I know why it was done. They bought up the people that were going to make the vote. I mean, it was straight corruption is why that happened. Um, you know, so we had people selling our, you know, our own people sell, sold us out and have put China in a position to compete with us that they never should have had. Um, so, you know, people look at all of that and they go, yeah, well, those guys are done. Mm-hmm. And culturally, we're in decline. I think economically, we're on the precipice of decline. Um, you know, it, it's, it's back to what we started at the very beginning of this, okay? Weak men make for tough times. Mm. And this is where we are. Now, the question mm. is, how fast can tough times make strong men or tough men right? like how 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 fast can you make that happen because we need we need a quick turnaround on that
0: one. well, if you're on hormones or you're low hormones because you're playing video games, right, making you a man is a big challenge because you're not a man anymore. yeah, you've you've literally neutered yourself, yeah. And if if this young generation succeeds, they'll do better than Mar- Margaret Sanger ever imagined. They'll have done it to themselves. We'll have yeah. a bunch of uh, neutered. Uh, they can't put procreate. Like there's there's no creative force within them. Right. It, it's a it's a living death.
1: Here's it, what I would say to that because uh, I don't I don't I don't want to I don't want to leave that totally unchallenged. Okay. Um, I think Generation Z ha- is replete with exactly the folks you're talking about, um, but there is a minority within Generation Z which is way more entrepreneurial. Um, is I think stronger in their faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like you saw Asbury University, and you mm-hmm. saw the religious revival, and that mm-hmm. has spread to some other campuses around the country, and like there is a minority in generation z which is fighting through the adversity mm-hmm. that the majority is not and i right. think some of these kids are going to grow up to be really 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 good leaders yeah now the question is what are the tribulations that get them there mm-hmm. right you know are they going to are they going to have to do like a modern day valley forge to get america back to where it needs to be and that's you know okay, like it gets back to okay, you know, do the tough times make the tough men? I think there are some Generation Z people that will rise to that challenge. I don't think it's a total loss, but no, absolutely. On, ba- on balance, it's bad. I will not argue with that. The uh,
0: I think that um, the the good. The secularization has enervated the country yes. and the young people are a byproduct of that. But the cause is our generation and the millennial generation who have abandoned hope. And and uh, so, you know, then it becomes but then the uh, it's not like there's no belief system there is a belief system and they believe strongly strongly enough apparently to kill and uh, and to externalize this kind of nihilistic angst where nothing matters Mm -hmm. so i'm going to take these people with me i'm going to punish the people who i perceived made my life miserable Mm -hmm. and And the woke
1: ideology is a framework of that belief that that you know that they, they've been indoctrinated into right so, rather
0: than loving their enemies and blessing those who curse them the right. we're back to tribal right. revenge for right. perceived slights not even yeah. actually
1: in you know, inability to uh to solve uh problems through nonviolent means or cooperation Mm -hmm. and that's a cultural thing okay because and you know you and i have talked about this like all of these hollywood action movies and like you know we'll have all the girl warriors who're going to go out and beat the living crap Mm -hmm. out of the men and all this right when was the last time you saw a movie where you had your the hero was like somebody was super smart and said i tell you what let me go pitch him this idea and let's see if we can live happily ever after without having this fight like you're not even allowed that movie doesn't get can't get made. Wait, no, we've got to have the big you know warfare scene at the end. And it's like, mm-hmm. what if the guy shows up like we're gonna have a parlay before the battle? and he says, you know what? I don't need this piece of land over here. Why don't we give you that and then you guys can give us what we want, right? Does that work? And the other guy goes, holy shit, yeah, we don't have to fight this battle. Well, that sounds mm-hmm. good. And then the, you know then you roll the credits and everybody goes,, oh, well, you know, Didn't get to see the fight scene, but actually that was a pretty good resolution. I I would love to see somebody make that movie just to see what people were like, holy shit, what a shocking ending. (laughs) Like they did a
0: deal and went home. Oh my God. Well, the thing is, it's it's radical enough to have a heroic ending. Like, you know, we were talking before coming on camera about how um, like I watched Top Gun again, the Maverick one. And, and for all of you people, I think it's on prime for free right now. So if you have yes. it, you can watch it yeah. Um, and being kind of surprised. And so like one of the things I said, and uh, you know, I've been thinking at about, as we've talked about this, there seems to be a desire for that kind of heroic view of America and to be the America of that sort of hero, her, you know, heroism. Yeah. But that comes at a cost, and it seems, and we have people who are not even willing to suck it up at the ballot box, right? who will fight to kill babies, but won't fight to save San Francisco, right? who will fight for the right of drug addicts to have clean needles, but won't fight for um, single mothers to have some kind, or moms just generally, to have, like, you know, give child tax credits or something to help families have, you know, children. Mm -hmm. So like we have this kind of backward thing, this eugenics kind of world where uh, it's uh, um, somehow compassionate. I just saw the the most disturbing thing I've seen so far in the streets of San Francisco was that yesterday a woman gave birth while tweaking On the streets of San Francisco, a baby was born onto the street. They have it on video. These two people came in to help this woman. She's barely conscious. And this baby is born and literally on the the dirty, vile ground of the street. And I was like, and this from a leftist perspective is compassion. What yeah. would have been compassionate is to put this woman in prison if need be to, to have her, um, you know, help her get over her children, her child in a safe, clean place. Mm-hmm. And the, the compassion of the left is absolute human degradation.
1: Mm-hmm. It's wickedness.
0: It's pure wickedness. And and one of the things that I did, it's demonic. Sorry. So like when I saw this kid, this former basketball player it was the whatever, I was like, I don't even know that this is mental illness. I think this is a pure demon an act of someone who has been wholly taken over by the demon of rage, if there's such a thing. Mm-hmm. And- that's not to take the, away his human agency in the act, but it's so like disproportionately evil. I don't think we're having conversations enough about how evil exists, and this is kind of the result. No,
1: we're certainly not. I mean, uh, yeah, and we're and we're certainly not preparing people to guard against, um, you know, the the encroachment of evil on people's lives. I mean. You know, I, I, maybe the most important writer to read in modern America, you know, kind of paradoxically enough, maybe is C.S. Lewis. Mm. Um, not that long ago, I went back and I read the Screw Tape Letters again, yeah. mm-hmm. and I like, you know, I, 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 who knows what books they're making kids read in school now? Mm-hmm. Every kid in Western civilization needs to have that book more or less memorized. Because pretty, I mean, it, it just deals with so much, um, you know, and, and if, you, if you've never read the Screw Tape Letters, it's basically, um, it's, you know, um, it's a, a major demon uh, counseling a minor demon on uh, how to um, more successfully screw up the people that the minor demon has been assigned to corrupt. And, you know, and it's a lot of like seemingly mundane things that he's talking about, like this is how you get them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's written in sort of almost a playful, funny thing, even though the, 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 the subject of it is deathly serious, you know, but like he kind of just relates it to real life. Like this is, you know, like it's minor irritations and things that you can mm-hmm. use to sort of corrupt somebody and make them lose their soul and all this kind of stuff like that. And I mean, so much of that is just so spot on. Like, you know, you pull back like you've been doing and you look like, God, I mean, this is evil is it is loose in the world. And it's like, well, it's always been. But it manifests itself in ways that people without a proper understanding of religion and sort of the interplay between God and man, I guess, would be a way to put it. Mm Like, if you don't have that grounding, and secular people just don't, because things just happen, and you don't really assign any sort of metaphysical meaning to any of it. Um, And if you don't have that grounding, like, you're really unprotected against Mm -hmm. the personal corruption of how adverse events and you know, actions taken against you by certain people, you know, and it, and it plays into things like impulse control, mm-hmm. or hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, you lose your optimism about the world, and then you drop off into this really, you know, dark place where, you know, um, avenging slights real and perceived has, you know, is like a major piece of your life, and you write manifestos, and then you go shoot up a school, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like, I think one of the things that a biblical worldview, and it's probably better if you go to church and reinforce it every week, but even if you can keep it top of mind and, you know, you have these people that don't really go to church, but have a personal relationship with God and all this other kind of stuff. At least it's something that you keep that in mind so that when something bad happens, you do kind of talk to God some and you do perhaps go look at scripture and you do remember stories in the Bible. And there's always one that pertains to what you're dealing with in life. And it's a perspective thing. And it allows you to understand that the world is a very big place and lots of bad things happen to good people. And there's a way to deal with things that makes you stronger for that, that doesn't kill you. And then there's a way to deal with things that leads to utter destruction of you and everybody around you. Well, nowhere near enough of of that is, is in our current cultural consciousness None of it. And, And it's a real serious problem because 50 years ago, okay, the thing that would occupy everybody's time was talking about how to be a good person, right? And that was largely a religious thing, but it was all about, you know, how to live the golden rule and how do you, you know, maintain your character and how important it is to be a moral person. And to do the right thing and all of this kind of stuff like that like you know like when i was a kid but more than that when my parents were kids that was what was important it wasn't whether you know that we had a nice car or lived in a big house or made a whole lot of money and all that kind of stuff and what absolutely was not a thing was to bitch about politics all day long i mean Correct. the rule was you do not talk about politics or religion with strangers and you don't even do it or sex
0: day. and now sex. that's all we talk about and now
1: politics and sex are the two most important things that everybody talks about right and we are so much worse off for that because both of those are horrifically divisive things and for all of the time that we spend talking about politics and sex we're worse at both of them right right like we're awful at both of them. Neither side is even remotely good at politics. The left is good at like gaining power. They do awfully everywhere they have power and they can't persuade anybody of anything. And the right, I mean, we're basket cases on politics and we have people and the more our people obsess about politics, the, the worse they are at it. Um, You know and the sex thing i mean like nobody's even having sex in america anymore because we've made each other or made ourselves so freaking unattractive to each other based on all the narcissism and the neurosis and everything else right horrible people and we (laughs) freaking think at all of this and that's like like i mean i hate to say it but that's kind of where we are like we're a country that needs an intervention along moral grounds
0: yeah we need a revival. Yes,
1: That's it. <laughs> I was just about to say that. Like, this, you cannot get a better environment for a badly needed revival. And mm-hmm. I think in a religious sense, for sure, but also cultural and and economic and political, too. But, like, as people, we need a revival. We need to put down things that we're currently obsessed about and embrace new things or actually old things. Um, well, you're work. talking
0: about the great, the, the, um, screw tape letters, right? By C.S. Lewis. Highly recommend. I would follow that up with The Great Divorce, which is, if you haven't read it, also excellent and basically follows the lives of all these people who wind their way into hell. And, um, how you get there, and and the b- mind blindness of the people there. it's really, truly kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. It, and, um but I do think that part of the problem is is that some of these basic things that uh, young people would have read, they they're just simply not exposed to. Absolutely. And, and, and so like you this kind of cult, rich cultural, Moral education has to be inculcated. It doesn't just happen.
1: Well, and look, okay, so it's well, you can't really, you know, teach all of that because, you know, you have to be inclusive and you just, you know, this is a sort of a, a Eurocentric perspective that you're doing and it's like no these are the best they happen to come from great britain or whatever but these are the best writers and these are the people that really did all the thinking about okay. what it is to be a good person and how to run a freaking culture and a society like these were the experts okay william shakespeare has a lot to say about how the world works and yeah. that's why we do william shakespeare it's not because he was english and he was white and we need it's like Right. Look, if there was an if there was some you know uh, Gambian writer who freaking had the kinds of things to say about the world that William Shakespeare does, bring him on. The problem is, is you didn't have that because they didn't have a particularly strong literary culture in Gambia in the 17th century. Okay, right. like, sorry, you need to have a certain amount of wealth before people have the time to freaking think about the world in the ways that John Milton did or Shakespeare or C.S. Lewis. Scott,
0: uh, listen to us. We are having to defend the great ideas of Western civilization. We we're, Right now, what we're doing is defending what used to be understood. Yes. We, we used to know inherently that these tribal um, cultures we're soaked in blood and and violence, and that we, the the Enlightened man ha- have to rise above that with better ideas and actions and character and all of this stuff, right. And that God is the source of these of uh, these universal principles. And now to have to say those things is controversial. Right. And
1: somehow it's, it's you're a bigot for, for, you know, for promoting something like, you know, natural law or objective truth, because those are white centric things. And it's like, wait, who's the racist in this conversation again, but Um, more
0: than that, we're, we're for the temporal and for the superficial, we're flushing these universal ideas. Right. And, and so like, say you don't believe the Bible, for example, but at one time, everybody knew what the armor of God was, just as a, an example. And, and the symbolism of it and what it meant. Uh, we were talking beforehand about uh, Sandman by Neil Gaiman on Netflix and how, you know, you know kind of great. Right. But there was one, one little vignette that I thought was so important. And I was sitting there thinking as a Christian. So Satan is having this conversation with Morpheus, the the kind of the prince of dreams. And, and Satan thinks, as Satan always does, that she's winning. He's winning, right? And uh, so it consumes the world with blackness. And the, at the end, Morpheus wins by saying, I am in the duel that they're in. I am hope. And I was thinking about, you know, a Christian would know that in the armor of God, that the helmet is the hope of salvation. And why that's so important is because hope protects your mind. And yes. helps you see the future. It's a light so you can look out and you can see. And right. it protects your mind and head. So when the when the bullets of the world come, and they will come, you still, your mind is protected and you can have a clear vision because your eyes are protected and you can yeah. see.
1: Yeah, you don't go to pieces in that adversity, right? You don't
0: go to pieces in that adversity. And I thought Neil Gaiman did a really beautiful visual way through this of capturing that idea that Satan cannot win as long as there hope there's hope. And so this kind of nihilism that is, is all throughout the West at the time when we have the greatest wealth and the most beautiful opportunities is, is not of this world. Like the, the fight that we have and people have gotten that because they think, because everybody's turned into materialists, that all that exists is what they experience in their environment. And it is so sad. Uh Tolkien talked about it. Mm-hmm. it you know, they asked him, Well, the don't aren't you he, you know, uh talking about because this was an it's an ever been the argument, you know. Uh you teach your child about Santa. Well, you know, that's not true. He's like, what do we do when we don't teach our children that ma- magic exists? what kind of world are we teaching them Right. that all that they, that they their experience, that's it. How right. hopeless is that? Right. And, and that's what we have done as a culture now. And by flushing Will Shakespeare and flushing CS Lewis, and like you say, Milton, and the people don't understand paradise lost and they don't understand the, the, um, uh, kind of the cultural underpinnings that has made America great and made the West great and built civilization and built these beautiful things. Then, then of course these kids give up hope. Right. If this is it, if they think that chopping off their penis or breasts or something is going to, if changing their external body is going to change their internal reality and they think that's the, pinnacle of self-realization How it's, I mean, you can't get is that?
1: Any, oh you can't get any more any more empty than that yeah right I mean I, like a hundred years ago um you know if you, like if you took somebody in a time machine and brought them I was like well you know th- we have this problem that we have these people and this is you know they'd be like well you've lost your soul Right. Like, I mean, anybody, you could take somebody off of, you know, a crew building a railroad yeah. in Oklahoma in, you know, from 1900 and take them and bring like, okay, well, here, here are these people and like, they lost their soul. Yeah. Like, I mean, that would have been, they would have gotten that right away is right. well that's a problem of the soul. Right. You know, it wouldn't even have been, well, they're crazy. Cause we look at it and we say, well, that's mental illness. Mm. But what we don't really recognize is these are people that have profound holes in their souls yeah they don't like they you know they um it's a it's a it's a problem that starts with a lack of moral fiber mm-hmm. before it even I, mean, I think that's corrosive and ultimately that's how you go crazy and then you end up with something like this but okay
0: you know, so wait i've got to be before i forget it because for i'm it. old yeah. and i forget stuff the book that people need to read on this count is peace of soul uh, by Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen. It is, he wrote this, I haven't
1: read that. I need to do that.
0: Oh my goodness, Scott. It is so good, but you want to yep. understand the world today and how, so, and he talks in what you just described and why I kind of jumped in. I'm sorry, Yeah, go for it. the mental illness part of it, what we attribute so much to like the anxiety and depression of our age. He was talking about this, like a hundred years ago. It's crazy. Well,
1: and yeah. Like Fulton Sheen was, he came up like in the thirties during the depression. Right. And he had, people had real angst because it was like, okay, how am I going to eat tonight?
0: Exactly. And, and so he talks about how we, you know, with Freud and everything and uh, kind of psychologizing our problems, and that certain things now he he didn't minimize therapy because he you know saw the benefit of it in certain situations but he said he can't solve the fundamental problem of the um fragility of a human when they don't take into account their soul yeah and when they are not m- filling that piece up spiritually all of the rest of this, and so his beginning, and I don't have the book right in front of me, but his the opening quote is basically about and the and the title of the chapter is frustration, the first chapter. And the the first paragraph, he says, the reason there is war is because there is internal angst, basically, that all of the internal problems that we face get finally expressed externally. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reading another book that kind of touches on this, um, which is actually quite terrifying, but it's, um, it's by Gerard. And it's, uh, I see Satan fall like lightning. And it's also talking about kind of the mob justice in order to have this catharsis. And we're reaching this point. So this yeah. Riley Gaines, this, this poor swimmer girl, she made it out alive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This time, right? One of these times the, 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 the bad thing person who is surrounded is going to be torn from limb from limb and
1: it's inevitable.
0: It's inevitable. And this is something that is not new. This has gone back. You know, this is killing a, a sacrifice to appease the gods. This is not any different. Yep. Because, and so this is the scalping of the the clan chief of the 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 tribe next over after you've conquered them.
1: Right. Well, it's it's you know it's burning the witch at the stake. It's
0: burning the witch right? at the stake. It's, it's all the you same. Know, it,
1: it's it's yeah. you know lynching somebody at the tree. I mean, it's yeah. We've had this from time immemorial um you know it's it's sort of like the evil that that strikes the mob and then the mob acts Mm -hmm. out and someone is victimized and it's always somebody the mob sees as the other
0: yeah always which
1: in riley gaines's case she's like the most normal person you can possibly imagine right like she's the best female swimmer in college swimming and she doesn't win because a dude comes in and wins and she's like hey that's probably not right. And all of a sudden, like Riley Gaines is the bad guy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, which well, but you, know, you can she you is... could say it's mental illness, but again, these are people with profound oh. issues yeah. of the soul yes. that would lead them to such yeah. a conclusion. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the idea that it's cheating to put a dude in the pool with a bunch of girls and have the dude win that should offend everybody's, I mean, you can be trans yourself. Like for example, Bruce slash Caitlin Jenner has been saying how awful it was that Leah Thomas was in the pool. Right. right. Like, hey, that's cheating. You can't do that. Right. And, you know, and they're all over Jenner for that. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you look at this and you're like, well, first of all, none of these people have ever competed in it. Uh, so they don't understand the, the benefits to the soul of honest competition. They don't get that. Um, but that's not
0: what any of this is about because for them, no, this is not. a religious, this is a, that's correct. this is their religion. So the their soul piece
1: is more important than anything yes. else going on in the world, which yeah. to 99.9% of the population is a nutty idea, but the failing is not um, one of sanity. It's it's of morality at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I like I like I haven't read the Fulton Sheen book you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure I know what it's saying, which is if you start from a moral foundation, it becomes a hell of a lot easier to keep your sanity. And if you start from without a moral foundation, then how do you know what's sane and what's not? And oh, by the way, the people pushing this stuff. They're in the zone, right? Like, like this is exactly where we want it, which is that there is no moral code for people to operate from, and therefore, their you know, sanity is what we tell them it is, and that's yeah. going to change every week. So we go from you know the birth control piece to the no fault divorce piece to the gay, uh, gay rights piece to the gay marriage piece to now the trans piece, and it's a matter of time before it's pedophilia and then bestiality and then necrophilia and
0: God knows what else child sacrifice Um, until there's
1: nothing left
0: well there is already child sacrifice but literal blood sacrifice that's where it ends always
1: probably i mean i you know i wouldn't doubt that and i mean there may be things that we didn't even couldn't have even thought of it's like oh well that's never been done before and it's Mm. like well yeah because these guys are way more creative than we are it's like that's not a good thing by the way you know um and I, you know,
0: like I. I but the it, but it's... the hopeful thing with all of this is that for those of you out there who are doing something to instill hope in your children, to raise them in the right way, there there is hope. But increasingly, um, now that I think America is not a is that now America is a secular country the our children the people who are raised right um will be lights in the darkness and it'll be mostly dark for <laughs> a yeah. time until it's not again um
1: well, you know but the thing of it is um and you know and, and said a different way i guess is that the uh the biblical world view leads to a moral um, existence which is objectively better than the nihilism and hopelessness of the woke religion, mm-hmm. which will not succeed, particularly in comparison to the biblical worldview. And so, you know, one succeeds and one fails. Now, you know, it would be better to accelerate that process by not subsidizing the unsuccessful behaviors which is something we've been doing for the last 30 years and change and that's what has to stop you know and you can look at politically that comes with stopping subsidizing failing cities and doing all of these other different things where you know you start cutting these people off and forcing them to live with the consequences of the things that they're doing and maybe you can get to the you know tough times make tough win uh um Piece of the cycle quicker mm-hmm. by just like look, rip the bandaid off and let's get it going and and let you know let let's begin imposing the consequences because they're coming anyway. I mean, like that's the you know the big thing that I think everybody needs to understand is it's gonna get bad because it has to get bad because we're not living right and we've allowed ourselves to become less of a people than we should be based on the prosperity and the security relatively and the peace that we've had in this country and it has made us soft and you i mean you will bear the price of that and we're about to and it needs to like that needs to be it needs to be reckoned with yeah which is not going to be fun and you know but we're like there's no choice here it has to like we have got to start stealing ourselves for um some very bad times um, they can't be avoided, you know? Um, but you know, it's the tough times that make the tough men that make the good times. So deal with it.
0: And on that happy note, um, thank you for listening. We'll put links to those various books in the, uh, in the, um, comment section. So you can just click through to them and, uh, read them, but I highly recommend it. We need to, all this happens one person at a time. So, you know, maybe we can't solve the world's problems, but we can solve as Jordan Peterson said, we can clean our bedroom. It's a good place to start, start cleaning up our own stuff. And one by one, that's how you remake a country. Anyway, thank you, Scott. Um, and thank you all for watching, like subscribe, share. We appreciate it. And, um, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be talking about having some guests on our show coming up. If you have some recommendations, you're always welcome to email me at mckenziem at spectator.org. And where can they email email you, Scott?
1: Uh, Do Scott McKay, S-C-O-T-T-M-C-K-A-Y at Reviver R-V-I-V-R.com.
0: Okay. Thanks all for listening. We'll talk to you next week.
1: Bye guys.